Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. This is Rob Howe, happy to be joined again this week by former Iowa linebacker Mike Humple for our Backer to Cracker segment brought to you by Humple Chiropractic in North Liberty. Mike, thanks for joining us again. Uh, Tell the listeners your tip of the week. Yeah, Rob, thanks. You know, we're going to talk today about sitting is the new smoking. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that before, but basically what it means is is sitting is not good, right? We know smoking isn't good, but sitting sitting too much is is a bad thing, bad for your spine, bad for your overall body health. So I'm going to encourage everybody to get up and move to improve your your overall spinal health and well-being, okay? Our spines crave movement, so we need to Instead of sitting, sitting all day long, I know some of us have office jobs or, or travel for work. You, we're, we're confined to having to sit often, but any opportunity we get, get up on your feet, move around. If you have access to a stand-up desk at, at work or your office, you know, try to spend up to a third of your day on your feet while you're working at the stand-up desk. Or if you don't have a stand-up desk, stand up, take frequent breaks every half hour, maybe every hour, get up, grab a drink of water, move around for one minute, sit back down. Our spines crave that movement. So um, lastly, uh, as always, getting adjusted to improve your back mobility when you can't quite do it yourself or you don't have the time to commit to, to moving around on your own. Uh, come, come see us. We'll help you out, give you some tips, talk to you individually, and uh, give you some pointers and things you can focus on to prolong the health of your spine and your back. Great tip this week, Mike. If people would like to get more information on that and other aspects of uh, your business, they can reach you at 319-325-3558 at humplechiro.com to check out more information on your website. And the address for Humple Chiropractic is 1295 Jordan Street, Suite 6B, North Liberty, Iowa, 52317. Hey, hey, we're back. Another Hawkeye Hotspot podcast here on Hawk Fanatic. Thank you again to the sponsors, Edward Jones and Mike Humple Chiropractic. Please check those folks out. We appreciate their support. Uh, I am Rob Howe, joined as always by my podcast partner, Scott Docterman from The Athletic. Scott, it it was weird. It seemed like time was kind of crawling initially. Uh, this year when we got into the pandemic it's it's picking up speed now at least from my perspective yeah it I kind of compare it to it's like when you wake up first thing in the morning and you plop on the couch and you haven't taken a shower yet and all you do is you grab something to eat and then before you know it you look over and you're like damn it's already 4 30 
you know, where the day go? It just went. And, and that's kind of where I feel like we are right now. When you look outside and at 415, it's almost dark and the football's half over and basketball's starting. And what happened to the summer and the spring? Did anything even happen then? So I just right now, it's all like a blur and it, and it, it sucks. I yeah, hate it. it was, I was like, I kind of knew it was coming, but I wasn't, you know, I was like, wow, it's Thanksgiving next week. Yeah. You know, a week from today will be Thanksgiving, which, which, which um, actually, now that I think about it, we're going to have to record probably on Wednesday next week. Yeah, exactly. We're going to have to back up everything, writing and uh, <laughs> podcasts and radio shows, whatever. And, yeah. then, uh, and then right after that, you know, you've only got four plus weeks till Christmas and five yeah. to New Year's. And, and then it's like, oh, my God, you know, where did the time go? And, I mean, you know, last night was the NBA draft, uh, you know, and I I'd kind of put that out of my mind. And then I'm like, wow, the NBA is going to start in, in about a month from now. So this, this whole year is, is messed with my mind, <laughs> everybody's mind, and the sports calendar, and I don't know what to make of it. Hopefully next year we get a little bit of normalcy, at least when it comes to sports, and a lot of normalcy when it comes to life. Yeah, hopefully we're getting that now as we get towards, you know, the, when the when the NBA, NBA picks up next month and then the NHL will come back and we'll kind of have those sports back where they belong in the wintertime instead of yeah. <laughs> like so, September and October this year with base, going up against baseball. That was just kind of weird. But I, I mean, think I think everybody was just kind of eating up any live sports after that span of time where we had nothing. Yeah, it, it, what's been strange I've noticed over the last couple of months is that the, uh, you know, some of the traditional powers when it comes to TV ratings have fallen. I mean, the masters, yeah, it was exciting and people got into it, but the general fan didn't get into it as much. And I think that was the same way with the NBA finals, the NHL certainly, and, and major league baseball, but it was just great to have them back. Just kind of feels like, okay, there is some life out there. It's just, you know, I think we're all, wanting the normalcy of fans going to games. Um, you know, it's been a, a real sore spot in football this fall, I think. Uh, certainly in Iowa games. Uh, I have seen fans at Iowa State when I went there a couple of times. But uh, it's just, you know, and then we got basketball around the corner in the most anticipated basketball season at minimum in 20 years and the potential to be the best basketball team. And we've seen, you know, in, in our careers, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. So I just uh, – and the fact that you're not going to have, well, it's not 15-5 anymore, 14-9 <laughs> or whatever the, the limit is at, at Carver, where it would be, it's, it's just a shame. I think uh, the PGA, uh, PGA and the Masters in golf found out, man, you don't want to go up against the Bear. You do not yes. want to go up against college football and the NFL. Nobody wants to, man. <laughs> you can't win that fight ever. The only thing that can is – an election. <laughs> That's the only thing or a war or something. But yeah, I mean, the, the Masters is perfect where it's situated. The, you know, normally, you know, with the second weekend in April where baseball is barely taking root, college basketball is over, the NBA finals or maybe have started. But you wouldn't want to move that thing back to the NFL draft weekend. Nope. You're dead there too. So it was great. I love seeing it. But it's, I, I'll admit it, I watched the NFL on Sunday and not, uh, not golf. 
I did as well. I know they're like, hey, well, we won't put many early games on because the yeah. Masters is going on. We'll put all, we'll stack all the games late. I was like, ah, there's an early game on. I'll watch it. Yeah, I mean, I went to I went to High V with my son, and we both uh, did some work. And I'm like, all right, I'll. I think the Packers were on one channel. The Lions were, yeah. were on another, and I, you know, <laughs> plus Sunday's one of my busiest days anyway of the week, and and so it's like, all right, you know, oh yeah, the Masters is going on. Well, I hope somebody won, but Dustin Johnson, congratulations. And he kind of ran away with it too. I think that probably hurt them that he was, you know, as well as he played. Yeah. It's a good story, but there wasn't there wasn't a lot of drama there on Sunday. If there, you got to have Tiger yep. if you want to if you want to go against the Bear, yep. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, if he's not if he's not within a shot or two, and it's uh, you know, and Phil Mickelson's probably up there too. But other than those two, it's just kind of like all right, it's over with. Well, the, the um, to to stick with the Bear analogy here, the the Hawkeyes were kind of Cubs the first two weeks of the season, but they've <laughs> turned into Bears now the last two weeks. Um, just a super impressive performance up at Minnesota following a, a smashing of Michigan State the week before. Two and two now heading into Penn State this week. This week's game, Saturday, uh, the 22nd, will be a 2.30 p.m. Central Time kickoff on Fox? No, Big Ten Network. BTN, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought that was going to be BTN before the season, but no. Here we are, Penn State 0 and 4. Yeah. I I mean Indiana Ohio State uh yeah. that, I figured that would be like the number 2 game of the week going into the season because there's enough of an audience and Ohio State is the bear of the bear. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that they command the most ratings out of any team in the country and that includes Notre Dame. So uh they usually get even if they're playing Rutgers it's like they move up high on the list. But yeah, BTN two thirty at State College. Uh, it's going to be quite the different atmosphere that most times Iowa encounters. You know, one little trivial stat that I looked up, I thought that was interesting. This is the eleventh straight time Iowa and Penn State have will have played and closed the game under the lights in the dark uh, against the the Nittany Lions. Last time that these two teams played in the early time frame was 2004 was that 6-4 game yeah every other time they've either been kicked off at night or they've uh, kicked off at that mid mid-tier time frame like in 08 when uh mm -hmm. you know Sean Green and, and everything that was a 2:30 game so that's uh it does show that this series it's it's not what anybody would throw out as a rivalry with quote marks but it's an organic, tough series. I really like it. I've grown to really like it, and I think it's one that both sides kind of respect. Yeah, definitely. And it's there's been, you know, part of what makes a, a good rivalry, and even if it's one that, you know, really is on, only or mostly appreciated within the Big Ten circles, there have been good games. I mean, they've had really good games most years. I mean, there have been yeah. some outliers, but for the most yeah. part, these are games that – come down to the fourth quarter and it's the team that makes the plays, you know, in that fourth quarter that win and wins it. And um, this one's a little bit tougher to analyze and we'll get into this a little bit more because it's such as, you know, what we've talked about pretty much up leading up to this, it's an unusual year. It's an unusual year. It's an unusual season. It's a, it's tough to really get your, you know, 
put your finger on what, what's actually going on. Yeah, I mean, who would have guessed Penn State would have been 0-4 at this point? Um, you know, they're ranked in the top 10. And this, is, this happens all the time to NFL teams. And Penn State is the victim of it this year because it's an all-Big Ten school. And that is sometimes you're not a bad team. You're just a figment of your schedule. I mean, in the first game, they go to overtime against a really good, hard-fought team, you know, in Indiana and lost by an inch. You know, just that pylon stretch right there. Then a you're playing a controversial inch. Right. If it would have been called the other way, they wouldn't have overruled it either. Yeah. Then you you throw on, okay, now you're playing Ohio State, who is the best team in the league. And I think going into this year, Penn State might have considered and probably rightly so that okay, or at least the fan base, let's say, not the players, probably lose to Ohio State. But if you win the rest you might be able to get in the top four and go mm-hmm. to the playoff. Um, well, after losing to Ohio State and you're 0-2, there's no chance of that. You know, you're not getting in. And so then there's that huge letdown against uh, Maryland. And Maryland has some good offensive players, and they just couldn't keep up. And then last week, I mean, bad, the combination of bad quarterback play and just sluggishness in that first half, I mean, it just – Penn State looked like it packed it in. And then they bring in Will Levis. It looked like defensively they decided, you know what, let's let's do something here. And they looked like maybe they didn't win, but they looked like a team that was competitive, that would fight at least. And that gives you some pause if you're Iowa because there is enough talent there. There is enough, you know, they do enough good things that, to make you go, you know what, this may not be the, the seal clubbing that you enjoyed the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, this is a really dangerous game, I think, for Iowa. And I saw, um, I think it was Jack W. on Twitter tweeted this yesterday. Um, Penn State has 48 players on its roster that are four- or five-star recruits, that were four- or five-star recruits. Iowa has four. Right. So you're looking at it, like you were saying, from a talent perspective, you don't go into this game saying – this team's 0-4, and it's got bad players. Right. It just hasn't played well as a team. And it seems like each week it's a different – they have something that, they, that, that shoots them in the foot, whether it's the other team or whether it's self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. They were last, I watched the Nebraska game. They, they were just sloppy. Turned the ball over, just undisciplined. Yep. It just was – you can have the best players in the world. If you play poorly – and don't do what you need to do, you're going to get beat in this league, especially because most teams are capable of beating you. Right. I mean, you look at every team in this league. I mean, who would have thought Rutgers could beat Michigan State? Who would have thought Maryland could beat Penn State and, right. and Minnesota the way they did? And, you know, so you look at this and you go, okay, wow, this is – and Penn State, as you mentioned, has, you know, more than half their scholarship roster are four-star or better, you know. Yeah. Um and when I look at them and evaluated them to see just kind of what kind of team you're going to get, and, and really what's, what's killed them is they're terrible in the red zone, both from a touchdown perspective, and this comes back to quarterback, yep. uh, you know, from a touchdown perspective, and then they missed half their field goals. Um, they're terrible on the offensive line. They're last in sacks allowed. Uh, but outside of that, those are kind of the outliers. And then defensively, they've given up some points. But, but you got to also remember that the teams that they've played have been, you know, fairly explosive offensively, at least in the first three weeks. So you have all those elements and you go, okay, how does this apply to Iowa? Well, 
I look at it defensively first for Penn State, and that is they're going to be geared to stop the run. They've seen what Iowa could do in three out of the four games. Iowa's run for at least 195 yards. Those are not only winning numbers; those are dominating numbers for Iowa, except when you know the Purdue game's the complete outlier. So how do they stop it? Well, they're going to bring down a safety. They're going to play three high, probably uh, zone coverage or some sort of, you know, one high safety and, and man, because they're going to say this quarterback can't throw. We've seen him four games. He sucks. That's what the Penn state is saying about Spencer Petras. Mm -hmm. So they're going to say, if you want to beat us through the air, you know, have at it. We're going to stop your run. We're going to slow it down. We're going to force you to beat us through the air. And and if I'm Iowa, I'm nervous about that because Spencer Petrus, um, and through four games, has struggled to the point where you're not sure he can win you a game. He could probably lose it, though. Yeah, he's uh, he, he's, and I don't want to say he is Nate Stanley um, in terms of inconsistencies, but you see some similarities there where there's times where you're like, wow. That was a hell of a throw. I mean, that was like an NFL throw and a tie. The the pass to Tracy, yeah, down, was yeah. That that was a. I mean, especially when they replayed that on TV and you could see how tight that window was and how he just hit him in stride. <clears throat> and you're like, wow, that's you know. So you know what the potential is there, Scott. But it's seeing that play in and play out. It's the game doesn't seem you know it's it's cliche. But the game seems like right now it's moving a little faster than Spencer wants it to. It, it hasn't slowed down for him yet. He's, he's having trouble getting through his reads at times. It seems like it's something different each time. Um, and that's kind of where you hope he gets to. And then I keep going back to, yeah, but, you know, no spring ball, crazy offseason in the summer, and I want to give him slack. I want to, I want, he's learning on the job. I don't think there's any other way you can look at this. Yeah. And he, it's true. And I, I'm kind of that, I'm kind of there with you. You know, I'm like, Hey, he's a sophomore. This is his first go around. I compared him to the other six um, quarterbacks who started as sophomores for Iowa in the past. And they all had dogs. I mean, in their first four games. Drew Tate, Arizona State, you know, 8 and 19. Yeah, that was 44 yards. Uh, Ricky Stanzi against Iowa State. He was 5 of 14 with two interceptions. And if it wasn't for Jake Christensen, they'd probably lose that game or they win it 5 to 3 or something. People don't remember that Stanzi got pulled in that game. A lot yeah. Of people don't remember that. <laughs> exactly. It saved the day. Yeah. And he, he struggled that year. And, uh, you know, but then. I, you, you go back and you look at Stanley and you go, oh, my God, the guy threw for 12 touchdowns and one interception in his first four games because he had that five TD performance against Iowa State mm -hmm. on the road. He, he looked really good. Um, his inconsistencies were, you know, a little bit of reading, but he also tried to power the ball sometimes or overthrow when he got a late read. I, I'm a little more concerned with Petrus than I was with Stanley, and it's because – He's not going through his progressions very well. He locks on a target. You know, it's like he knows where he wants to go with the ball right away, and he tries to fire it, and, and he tries to use his arm strength. And it's um, you have a read like he did, you know, where he got picked off when he was trying to go to a mirror. Uh, he, he locks on certain top uh, receivers, and then 
you know, then you have a guy like Brandon Smith who didn't even get a target last week. And it's like, oh, you know, that guy needs to get the ball more. You know, I, I, I went through his, you know, in counting the interceptions and misfires, he's targeted Sam Laporta 32 times in four games. That's, you know, those are inside routes. That's scary territory. I mean, I, I think if you have another similar performance against Penn State, first of all, you're not going to go over them like a Zamboni like you did Minnesota. I would not be surprised if they made a change. I really would. I, I just think that – and I do think for sure, you come January, it's – everything's open. Um, Deuce Hogan, Alex Padilla – Petrus, you're all competing for the job. You can't just let this be kind of a grandfathered in proposal. Not that he'd be a factor this early, but I, was, I can't remember if Labus said if he's a January enrollee or if he's next summer. Either way, I mean, he's another scholarship quarterback that will right. be on campus next year. Um, you know, and this game, Penn State gave Stanley – a lot of headaches, Scott. Um, very good defensive line. A defensive line with the ability to just rush for and not have to blitz, but Penn State also mixes in blitzes from different areas that a quarterback really needs to be on his toes to prepare for. And you can – Spencer talked Tuesday about, you know, being prepared for that and working and, you know, studying film and, getting looks from scout teams. They can't replicate what Penn State does. Shaka Tony, uh, yeah. Jason Owe, those are good. Those are NFL defensive ends. So, yeah. if you're an Iowa fan, the thing to worry about is, like you were saying, some of the shortcomings that Spencer has shown so far in terms of getting through progressions and reads – Penn State makes makes those things that much more difficult to do. He's really going to have to – he doesn't have to be great this week in terms of throwing the ball, but he has to have an understanding of what the other team is doing against him. Without a doubt. And to see him be uncomfortable in the pocket is probably the most jarring part of this game for me, or at least passing-wise, all season, because the protection's been outstanding. He's only been sacked three times. That's leading the Big Ten. Um, and now and, – but none of those teams had – I mean, I guess Purdue had, you know, George Karloftis, and they were able to kind of neutralize him for the most part. He did get a little – he got a sack, and he was a little feisty. But, but other than that, they had really no problems with pass rush. Uh, this game will – pose that because Alaric Jackson is an NFL guy, but so is Jason Alway. So is Shaka Tony. They've proved it. You know, Tony certain seems like Tony's been there for 50 years and, you know, him and <laughs> gross Matos, you know, they, they owned Iowa last year. And, and, and then you look at, I think they've had in the last four games against Iowa, they've had 10 total sacks. So now I think this Iowa offensive line is as cohesive as any of them and more so, uh, you know, even without worse. Uh, so, they're capable of being good, but they're also, hey, let's face it. This is a, as you mentioned, NFL guys, they're going to probably give up two sacks, you know, and, and that's being good for most of the game. So it's up to the quarterback not to get happy feet, not to get scared, not to force throws. And then if they throw zone blitzes on, back off the defensive end and throw a linebacker, you know, Brandon Smith on the other side, Penn State linebacker into the blitz scheme, 
he could he could get a pick six when he tries to hit a hot route. So all that really kind of scares me. That said, I mean, I think Iowa's really good, but this one area is where they can lose the game. Otherwise, if they can even have a net zero, which is no touchdowns, no interceptions, complete 60% plus of your passes, hit a couple to extend drives, don't do anything stupid. I mean, this is 100% game management. If they can do that, they are the better team, and they can take charge. But it's going to have to take a net zero performance, and I think we've only seen that once out of Petrus, and that was in the first game. Yeah, and then there were the fumbles in that game that, that cost I Right, yeah. And the penalties. And so penalties. Can't yeah. have that stuff either. And uh, that's really, to me, I think the most intriguing matchup on Saturday is Penn State's defensive line against Iowa's offensive line because I think those are two of the best you know they're the among their best among the best excuse me in the Big Ten at their respective uh, you know at their respective units I think both are and you know Iowa has really depended on the run Penn State's pretty good against the run well that's going to be an you know an interesting matchup as well to see if Iowa because as we talked about, if Iowa can't run the ball consistently, is Penn, Spencer Petrus at a place where he can win this game? No. That's, that's, the, that's the problem. I mean, then you're going to have to go to old school Iowa Rocky ball, which is you're going to have to play field position football. You're going to have to hope your defense can win. It can, it, and it probably should, but – that's where you got to rely on your quarterback not to, to play mistake free. And that's a scary place to be um, against a team that's got this much talent because Pat Fryermuth is going to be catching touchdowns in the NFL next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Johan Dotson is a good player and uh, you know, and yeah, Devin Ford is like their <laughs> third or fourth running back, but he's still better than a lot of running backs in the big 10. And, you know, they've just been woeful along the offensive line and at quarterback. So if Iowa can get a good pass rush, which I think it will, Mm -hmm. and and force mistakes or force three and outs at a minimum and play uh, field position football, then you can win that game. But do you want to win that game? I mean, you'll take the win no matter what, but you want your quarterback to to feel good about his performance, to play well, and come away with a victory where you're, you're leaving the field singing the fight song going yeah we just you know stole the 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 air version of the pig between these two teams <laughs> and make penn state 0 and 5 for the first time in the history of its program you know and they've lost six straight against penn state you know and this <laughs> is you know kirk ferentz really made his career beating penn state in the right. previous decade i mean some of those wins and I was just thinking about this. You know, when you look back, is there a more iconic series for Iowa than these games against Penn State? I mean, you look back at 01 and, you know, even 2000, that was his first big win. Yep. 01, you know, they they kind of propelled themselves to it. 2002, the, they almost gave it away but came back and won. 04, the 6-4 game, which is borderline legendary. Yep. Uh, 08, Daniel Murray's kick. 09, the block punt by by uh, Adrian Claiborne. And then even in recent years, they've been outstanding games. I mean, the last play of the game in 17 and, uh, you know, what should have been in 18. I think that's going to be the season we look back on in this 
3.0 or whatever era we call this one, that the 18 season is going to be the one we go, oh, they yeah. could have done more than that. But, but so, you know, but you got you to staple this one. And they're capable of doing it. They just need their quarterback to come through. And if he doesn't come through in this game, I'm going to say they need to make a change. Yeah, I mean, I think each week that goes by where he um, hasn't settled down and settled in, that is the elephant in the room. And Mm -hmm. this is not something that Iowa slash Kirk Ferentz is comfortable doing, Mm -hmm. replacing the quarterback. It just, I mean, we talked about the the Jay Christensen-Stanley season. but, I mean, you talk about one of the crossroads, you know, the, the most memorable crossroads for this program. It was the C.J. Beathard, Jake mm-hmm. Rudock quarterback situation. I mean, that tore, that, that tore a pretty good team apart in 2014 and really changed kind of, you know, the trajectory of this program after making the decision to go with C.J. out of that. This would be a bit – I mean – Making a change here, Scott, would be very out of character. It sure would. You know, the one thing with, I would say, in hindsight now, looking back at 14, and I remember I was, I was a Beathard advocate then because I thought he could do more, you know, in, in arm strength especially. But I also look back and I think, you know, if they had Jake Rudock now, it might be 4-0. and Yeah. Uh, I mean, because Rudock was that game manager, and if, if they would have allowed him to play a little differently, and that's the Greg Davis offense – you know, I think he could have been a pretty good player for this team. Um, but they're not getting that. You know, they're getting – I hate to say it, but they're getting 2007 Jake Christensen. And and that's – with a team – and we've seen it the last couple of weeks. I mean, if you can run the ball like this, and we haven't seen this really, this type of running game since Sean Green, you – all you need to do is just have your quarterback hit spots once in a while, and you're going to be – you're going to be a tough team to beat. and. You know, it's out of character for sure. Uh, but I also think at this stage in his career and with this type of team, do you want to continue to go back to your uh, players and watch them and go, you could have had a chance to win, but the better player didn't play at that one key position. I, I think, if anything, I think the players have a little bit more of a say. And I think looking at every one of them in their eyes, you know, it, it, again, in like 14, I think both Rudock and Beathard were good. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's it's just can you be, go from good to, to Iowa's version of great, which I think that was the case with Beathard. Right now, it's like can you even get to somewhat decent, let alone good? And and I think that's why, you know, and I'm disappointed because I thought Petrus would, would be good, and I've heard a lot of good things about him, and and yeah, he didn't have that off season, and that's why I wouldn't just throw him away for the future. But I think it's you got to win now. I mean, is crazy and truncated as this season is you you've got to put you've got to allow a, a Brandon Smith a um, you know a Chauncey Golston those kind of players that have put their heart and soul into this program the opportunity to, to reach their highest level and and having one major eyesore and not doing anything about it I think you got to make that you know that change if that's what needs to happen yeah and I think back and this was I put this more on Greg Davis in 2012, but, but, but Jim yes. took every snap that season. 
no other quarterback took a snap. And right. that thing was the horizontal passing game of Greg Davis was just that was that what that and um Lick Lighter's last season. Those are the two <laughs> I'm sorry to I, Yes, I, sorry I'm to, with you. I'm sorry to bring that name up, but those two seasons, uh, you know, in my time, my two plus decades of covering Iowa sports, those two seasons are just make me like yeah. willies <laughs> thinking, about, <laughs> thinking about going through those years. They were just uncomfortable and really hard to watch. I know. And I was with the Gazette in 2010 and I went home and away with every game with Lick Lighter. And it was horrible. Towards the end of the year, I mean, uh, I'll veer off and come back. (laughs) That last week of the regular season, they played at Wisconsin, midweek game, like a Wednesday game. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was Jason Bohannon's senior day. And luckily, hey, you know, guys from Marion, I can kind of write about him. And, you know, but it was it was like 67 to 40 i remember the final score i still because they scored 40 points and they had 16 points with 16 minutes left and i remember john licklider bless his heart out there trying to play point guard and trayvon hughes who was a pretty good player for yeah. for wisconsin and he was guarding him and i'm like oh my god this is another horrible mismatch and you could just see it you know how like sometimes uh, when we're younger and and girls would jump rope and they kind of lift their hands up and, and catch, you know, the, the twirl and then jump in. Well, he was kind of doing that with the dribbles and all of a sudden he just kind of went and swiped the ball from him and went down the court to go lay it in. And John was, you know, ah, throwing his hands up in the air and it was like practically palmed the top of his head to lay it up and get the foul. And, but uh, the, the biggest one was the one at Minnesota, the final one. Yeah. And it was 88 53. You know, I can't remember where I parked half the time, but I can remember that score. And uh, it was so bad that the student section quit chanting the who hates Iowa, we hate Iowa chant because it just felt like that 55-0 football game. And afterwards, I looked at Rick Brown, and I'm like, they can't do this anymore. You can't do this. This is too much. And and so <laughs> between that and, and remember the Orange Crush that year invading underneath wow. the basket and um, – John Licklider guarding Evan Turner on Super Bowl Sunday. And that was the greatest mismatch individually in Big Ten basketball history. Player of the year versus John Licklider. Anyway. In 2012 football, the thing that yeah. stands out to me was the Purdue game. Mm-hmm. Danny Hope had nothing going on. Yes. I mean, they were just brutal. And they yeah. came into Kinnick and won that game. And I was like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Back to back, Indiana and that game, yeah. both times. I mean, they were up 14 and 0. I mean, I think it was Chris Kirksey had a pick six in Indiana. They're up 14 to nothing. And I watched almost every route of that game, and none of them were between the hash marks. Every one of them was like five steps in turn. Yeah. You know, I'm watching Fedorowitz and, and Kevontae Martin Manley and Tavon Smith, all these guys. And it's it's like they're standing around the three-point line you know they're like Devin Ballwinkle out there <laughs> you know there's another blast from yeah, the right yeah so I don't, I'm throwing stuff out there but but you know I'm I'm watching this going what are you doing at, go downfield at least once you know they had they had some pretty good tight ends and they're not doing anything and yeah and then yeah the Purdue game I think if there's one play to encapsulate the entire 
Greg Davis era. It was the Purdue game, tie score, uh, and it was fourth and three, and it was a one-yard pass to Zach Derby. <laughs> and then Purdue kicked the field goal right after that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you don't <laughs> have to thank us now. You can thank us later for taking you down this wonderful – uh, memory lane of Iowa sports mishaps. Yeah. Uh, nightmares. Um, Bald tires on a gravel road in, in an icy <laughs> December day. So <laughs> Hiding behind the chainsaws. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that commercial, by the way. <laughs> so let's, let's touch a little bit, t- um, Scott, on, on, Penn State's defense against Iowa's offense. We're, we focused on Spencer Petras here, but, um, you know, this – Penn State's defense obviously has the potential and the players, even without Micah Parsons, to, to cause Iowa some problems. Um, how do you see Iowa – you know, what, what do you do to, I guess, make Spencer Petras – put him in the best position to succeed here? You've got four games now of evidence of what he likes to do. I mean, you, you think about that in the offseason. Okay, we got it. We have an idea of what he likes to do. Now you have four games of sample size to what he likes to do. Is there a pattern there? Can you see what would be the best route to go here? I, you know, it just kind of uh, spitballing, which of course the coach has taken 100 hours this week to try to break down. <laughs> I think a lot of it is it's got to come back to what's made them successful the last two weeks. And that is lateral movement from their receivers and from the running backs. And that's jet sweep motion. Even if you don't give them the ball, it forces that extra look, it forces the hesitation. And then it allows your running game to work. And one-on-one the way they've run the football, if they can get hat on a hat, um, and on stretch play, they're good. And Tyler Goodson is is terrific. Yep. You know, probably the highest graded offensive player in my eyes. You know, other than maybe Linderbaum, just outstanding player. And so I think you've got to give yourself a chance to make it work. You can't just uh, do the same thing you would do over and over and over again and then hope it, it continues. If you can do that, if you can establish the running game, make some movement, then I think you could go play action a lot. And if you can do that, again, it forces the safeties to hesitate, if nothing else. Also, put your – try to have him – this is crazy, but try to have him exploit outside pass routes to and possibly allow your best athletes on the perimeter to make plays on the ball. Brandon Smith contested 50-50 balls. Amir Smith or set should be going deep a couple of times a game. And uh, last week he underthrew him. He had him open. He was a touchdown. And he, and Peters was he the target on the flea flicker? No, that was uh, Nico Regani. Okay. But, you know, he had three of those opportunities and um, deep passes. He only hit one. Well, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt just because he's young, but it was cold up there, okay? Mm-hmm. But, but I'll say this, that Amir Smith-Marset had a step. It was a touchdown. He underthrew it, hit the guy in the helmet, the, the defender in the helmet. Um, Nico Regani had the flea flicker. If he would have got it a little bit sooner, he might have been able to run under it. And then Sean Beyer caught one, a deep middle ball, that 
was underthrown. It would have been a touchdown, but he was able to make that catch. And Sean Byers played pretty well, I think, the last couple of weeks. So, but I think if you can make sure on the sideline you can get Amir Smith-Marset to run a one-on-one route against a cornerback, I like his chances of drawing a penalty or catching the ball. And same thing with Brandon Smith. Throw it up. We've seen what he can do in the end zone. We've seen what he can do for the last couple of years. Give him that opportunity. And he hits those balls. It allows the confidence to come back. And then defeat kind of creeps into the mind of a team that's 0-4. And And then you can run the ball. and It just all feeds together. But if Iowa does what it did against Northwestern, for instance, and let's just run stretch, no motion, they're going to stop it. Then you force your quarterback to throw 50 times a game. That's a recipe for disaster. And then you're looking at a team that had a lot of confidence and you're two and three and you think, all right, what now? And you might have some, some backtrack mentally. As what happens most seasons around here, Scott, um, the defense gets better as, as the season goes on and helps the offense and that complimentary football, that's kind of the components that we know how this, how this all works together. Uh, this defense, I, I fully admit, I thought it would be good, but I, I, I had some concerns when you lose the four guys that they lost. Um, I didn't think they'd be this good this quick. And there obviously are, uh, you know, several reasons why that is. Uh, not the least of which is this defensive line has gotten is better than I thought it would be. Oh, Zach Van sure. Valkenburg in particular is better than I thought he would be. I thought it would be more committee based and it still is. They're still using rotations, but he, he's taking advantage of, you know, Davion Nixon and, and Chauncey Golston getting a little bit more attention and he's, you know, credit to him he's understanding that they're understanding that and they're taking advantage of the linebacker play has been really good. Secondary has been solid. Um, This Penn state offense does. I'm not going to say it's, it's bad, but very inconsistent quarterback play, not very good offensive line play. Like you mentioned, Dotson, what is Patrick Washington, the true freshman receiver? Yeah. I think he's good. Mm Mm-hmm. So they're, yeah. they're good at that spot. Friermuth, you know, running back-wise, they're not great. They're not Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders good, no, but, but few teams are. Um, I, I think this can be a game where Iowa's defense is the deciding factor in this game. You look back even at last year's game, they allowed 17 points to what I thought was it was an outstanding Penn State team. I thought Clifford play, played well. K.J. Hamler, they had guys up front who could block, and they still fought. And then you remove A.J. Epineza, which I think was the biggest loss. Uh, you remove Christian Welch in the middle of the third quarter, and that really hurt him badly in that fourth quarter. Oh, my God. That was probably the biggest. Christian Welch was the most underrated loss Iowa had. In, in several years, really, injury-wise. and um, But you look at what they have now, and it's really nothing. And, yeah, the defense has been outstanding, especially, you know, for all season. I mean, outside of covering David Bell, who's, gonna, who's a tough matchup. <laughs> Most teams are going to struggle with that. And you look at the reasons why, not giving them excuses, but 
that was a tough matchup for that secondary right out of the shoot yep. because they had not a lot of communication. They were still trying to filter in. This is, this is why they usually play in Northern Illinois to start the season or mm-hmm. whoever, just to kind of, okay, you blow a co- coverage or two. I mean, then they get better. Likewise, linebacker, you can't under, you can't dismiss that either. So all that being said, and then I thought probably two of the drives against Northwestern, certainly one of them in the second quarter was really tough on them. Outside mm-hmm. of that, they've come together. I mean, Zach Van Valkenburg has grown in over four games more than any other player. Uh, the first game, he couldn't get a pass rush. The second game, he kept getting sucked down on a lot of the counter plays from Northwestern. Last two weeks, he's been outstanding. Um, to the linebacker, Seth Benson, has played really well. But then you throw Jack Campbell out there, and you can just see what he can do. Oh, my God. He is going to be an ass kicker for a long time. Uh, his range is exceptional. His, his ability to hit and take people down is really good. And this is a kick coming off mono. And then the secondary, is there a better coached unit in the country uh, on defense anyway than Iowa's secondary? Because when you're throwing out two-star Kayvon Merriweather, walk on Jack Kerner, two-star, uh, you know, who, let's see, Dane Belton's a three. Uh, Matt Hankins is a three. Uh, Riley Moss is a two-and-a-half star. And here you are out here you've got the most interceptions in the um you're second in the big 10 and you've got 61 in the last four years i just it, it, i'm a mar amazed by this so i don't think they're fear fearful of all of dotson or Fryermuth because they've gone against bell they've gone against bateman um some other good ottman bell's really good for wisconsin or for minnesota i mean you know, the kid from Michigan State lit up Michigan for 200 yards, caught one big pass against yeah. Iowa. So I think they're they're really in good shape this week. 2.8 yards they're giving up per rush, I think, Scott, yes. which is insanity. I mean, mm-hmm. and it's not like they haven't played decent running backs. Horvath oh, yeah. had a good game the first week. They made um, Anderson and – who's the other kid for Northwestern? Uh, oh. Bowser. Yeah, about first right, right, yards. Right. Mo Ibrahim had a hundred and whatever it was, thirty or forty yards, but he had a lot of carries. They made him work for those yards. Thirty-three um, carries on one hundred forty-four yards. Yeah, so, so I, they're not going to face that type of running back this week. They should be able to make Penn State one-dimensional. Penn State's going to ha- and Penn State if get if given protection. Clifford's shown in the past that he's capable of getting the ball to his playmakers. He hadn't shown it much this season. He's re- he and Tanner Morgan, the regression of both of those guys is somewhat surprising. They were both pretty solid. They, they had their bottom, especially Clifford last year. He had some, the game at Minnesota last year, he was terrible, but for the most part, he had a pretty good season. He's not been good this year. No, he's been terrible. I mean, he's completed less than 57%, you know, six interceptions on four games. That's just, you know, that, that, those aren't winning numbers either. You know, he's got nine touchdowns, which is, you know, three times as many as Iowa's quarterback, but still it's, it's just, there's, it's not this Sean Clifford we saw last year, which was solid can make plays 
you know, okay, you take away KJ Hamler and Journey Brown and Noah Kane. I understand that things are going to come down. But they still have talent. Devin Ford's still a talent. Mm-hmm. And he's not done, you know, that first half against Nebraska was brutal. It was just, you know, and then Will Levis, who you got to know in the recruiting process, and he, he might even be the starter at Iowa this week if, if Penn State hadn't come a calling. Um, you know, that, you know, that they, they look like they had a spark. They played harder, I thought, if yeah, nothing else. So, you know, James Franklin has a similar situation at quarterback, which is are you going to rely on your guy who got you to a, a pretty good bowl game and won you a bowl game, you know, Cotton Bowl last year, or are you going to pull that plug? And is this the year to do it? You know, do you blow the guy's confidence all the way around, uh, you know, for a, a truncated year? <laughs> Either way, I think Iowa has a huge advantage here. I mean, barring turnovers in their own red zone inside their own 20 or 25, I mean, I don't, I can't, I don't have faith that Penn State can get Mount maybe one at the very most two field drives against them. Yeah, I would agree. I think if Iowa can play clean football, which it has the last two weeks for the most part, um, it's the better football team here. Without question. And you never know. I mean, it's a long trip during a pandemic. There's, there's those weird intangible factors that we can't really weigh or measure. Mm -hmm. Um, But just, you know, from looking at the game on paper, I think Iowa wins this game. 10 points, two touchdowns somewhere in there would be my guess. Yeah. I think one of the picks I made was like 20 to nine. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, some weird score like that because, you know, Penn State's smart enough and they're good enough that they know how to slow down Iowa, you know, and and if even if again if even if it's game management out of their quarterback, they're going to make Iowa work for its yards, barring turnovers and that sort of thing. Um, I think Iowa could score four times, you know, maybe two field goals, two touchdowns. I just can't see Penn State doing the same against this defense unless there is. Big plays, which Iowa refuses to allow. I mean, really, that's their number one goal is, is don't don't get run on, don't allow big passing plays. There's going to be enough respect for Fryermuth and Dotson that they'll make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah, they might get some 20-yard routes, but they're not going to get any major plays. I just can't see them going, you know, 70 yards and 10 plays against this team more than, you know, maybe once or twice. But So, yeah, I like Iowa – I like it in a slugfest. I think I was the better team. And if that's the case, I mean, I, w- I did some investigating on, can Iowa actually get to Indianapolis? And yes, they can, but it's threading the needle. <laughs> it's like shooting, uh, what is it? Porton tor- uh, port- proton torpedoes or whatever it is uh, in Star Wars. Um, So you've done this, and and I have not researched this. This was just a thought in my mind of, you know, without putting pen to paper. Iowa wants Wisconsin to win this week. Absolutely. Yeah. It has to win. Otherwise, it's it's a moot point, basically. Uh, You've got to have a situation where you're 6-2, and which is the best Iowa could do anyway. Right. Northwestern 6-2 and and Wisconsin's 4-2. and because then it goes to the loss part of the, the tiebreaker equation. Right. If, the, if that's the case, the, the tiebreaker is how did you do uh, – all, all those losses have to be in divisional games, though. 
So, cause that's a tie part of the tiebreaker. So if let's say Wisconsin loses to, and, and they all beat each other. And let's say Wisconsin's on their losses to Indiana, which they play in a couple weeks. Right. That would hurt them because then their in division winning percentage would be higher than Iowa's. Iowa would be six six six. Theirs would be seven fifty. You know, so then they would outrank both Northwestern and Iowa in that regard. Unless Northwestern's other losses like Michigan State, which I don't see. There's one team and one team only you're going to have to cheer for after this weekend. I don't even know if you want to hear it, guys, but it's Minnesota. Yeah. You're going to have to root for Minnesota to beat both Wisconsin and Northwestern. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I would say if that happens, then, well, let's just say that magically they win the ax and then they beat Northwestern. I think they could beat Northwestern. I don't know about Wisconsin. If that happens, then the, the tiebreaker would be, since they have an even number of losses within the division, the tiebreaker is next in line. Uh, how did you do against the next team? Well, if it's Purdue, Purdue gets thrown out. Same thing with Nebraska because Wisconsin didn't play them. So then you go all the way down the line and it's Illinois or, you know, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And if Minnesota had already beaten Northwestern and already beaten Wisconsin, which I'm having a struggle even getting out of my mouth, <laughs> then, <laughs> then you, uh, then it's the, the Hawkeyes going to Indy uh, against Ohio state or Indiana, but Ohio state. <laughs> yeah. Now again, I'm threading the needle on this one. This is, <laughs> this is a just don't even think about this one. You know, it's, so you're it's, saying there's a chance. There, yeah, it's it's Lloyd, it's Lloyd Christmas, <laughs> and it's almost Mary Christmas. Swanson. Yeah, and Lloyd Christmas and Mary Santa Swanson. Claus. Yeah, and the Easter Bunny. Exactly. It's uh, <laughs> it's Natalie Wood pulling up to that house and finding the cane in the corner. You know, it's it's Lloyd Christmas and Mary Swanson and Dumb and Dumber. You know, there's a chance. But uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, man. Again, Minnesota's got a good enough offense, and Iowa neutralized it so well; it was really impressive. I could see them beating Northwestern. I really could. I, I think Northwestern's a really good team. I don't think they're exceptional in any other area except linebacker. So I think they can win if they don't make any mistakes, you know, and play well. You know, they could win a twenty-one seventeen game. <laughs> Wisconsin's so good. Iowa could beat Wisconsin, but I got Minnesota. I don't know about Minnesota's defense, man. Just oh. not good. Just not good. That's what's going to be the thorn in its side moving forward here in terms of, you know, being able to beat Northwestern and Wisconsin. It's just with that defense, I'm just not sure. Yeah. I mean, you just look at it and you go, <laughs> I mean, it, it's just, I, I you know, and, and just thinking about the matchup, the way Iowa ran all over Minnesota, and then you think Wisconsin's big guys, I mean, that's going to be 300 yards. It's just going to be a massacre. You know, they might as well just mail them the axe right now, or they already got it. They might as well not bring it to the field. So, Some of those, uh, some of those holes that – good, and that's not to take anything away from Goodson and Sargent, who I think have really good vision mm-hmm. um, and are getting better weekly with, you know – patience and just putting everything together you need to have to be a good you know to to put together a good running game um 
there were a few times where those holes were. I think Scott could Scott and I could have made positive yardage. I'm not saying we would have gotten five to ten, but I could have gotten positive yardage a few times. Yeah, my uh, yards per carry was 6.0 in high school. <laughs> I don't know if I could run 6.0 yards now, but, uh, you know, it's uh, – and I'll tell you what, the one thing that even if Brandon Smith hasn't gotten the ball and Tyrone Tracy hasn't gotten the ball very much, they block their ass off downfield. They did, a, they did an outstanding job. And the one play that stands out for me in that whole game was the, uh, the inside zone to, to Tyler Goodson on the last play of the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Tyler Linderbaum took out three guys. Um, and even by the time uh, Goodson got tripped up, Smith and Tracy were still blocking their cornerbacks 40 yards down the field. Um, if this was the NFL, they would get like a, a watch for that or something. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Um, I think we've beaten the, the Penn State, Iowa. We didn't do a lot of uh, look back on Minnesota, but I don't think there's much to say about that other than it was a mismatch. and uh, The greatest quote of the Kirk Ferentz era. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Leaving some timeouts. Yeah. Figured we'd take Floyd with us and leave the timeouts here. And uh, uh, I, I, you know, we know in recruiting that this is the team that they have the most issues with. And uh, (laughs) it's pretty, pretty feisty. And everybody does. It's not just an Iowa thing. It's everybody, even Iowa State, Nebraska, Wisconsin, all the teams do. But (laughs) you could see the, the feistiness from the very beginning between these two teams and then right at the end and reading Kirk's lips after we're rewatching the game a few times through his uh, mask, kind of the, are you kidding me? When there's 19 seconds left there on the four yard line and they call a timeout against Iowa's handful of true freshmen. And they've got Mo Ibrahim out there and Rashad Bateman right. and Tanner Morgan. Um, so I don't blame Kirk at all be petty in that situation. Just say, you know what, if you're going to do this, we're going to do this. And boom, you know, I like Tyler Goodson's post game comment. He was cold and just, yeah. he didn't care about right. the, the, you know, the animosity. He just wanted to get inside. And, and then uh, when I rewatched the game, cause yeah, I listened to him say that and then rewatch the game. He's on the bench and you can just see him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the heated bench was the only thing that saved him. And then, uh, and I love Chauncey Golston of anybody. You just said, you know, he kind of looked over. He's like, okay, coach, you do you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and then watching him and Davion try to pick that pig up. They had no idea that that thing was 98 <laughs> pounds. It just makes me marvel for Tristan Wirfs last year, carrying it the length of the sidelines. I know. And then he got into the interview session. He's like, I can't even lift my arm up right now. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, P.J. Fleck still winless against Iowa is beating everybody else in the West Division. So, he's going to have to deal with that for another year. And uh, Floyd remains in Iowa City again for, what is that, seven? Six straight. Six straight, okay. Yeah, and eight out of nine. And uh, the other thing is next year when they come to Iowa, um, they haven't beaten Iowa since 1999 in Iowa City. And – that I remember was, that game. That was Glenn yeah, Mason. Right. And it was only because Sean Hoffman tipped that pass yeah. in the end zone. Otherwise, Iowa would have – one in ten Iowa would have won that yep. game. And they've only – other than that, you've got to go back to 89 last time they beat them in, wow. in Iowa City. So, this is not the, this is not the place where the Gophers come and, and play. I think it's 16 – is it 16 of 20? 
I think you're right. Yeah. yeah I, mean, it, I mean, it's just been really lopsided. Yeah. I mean, and if it wasn't for, you know, that Fort Jerry kill was able to make some things happen. Mm-hmm. They had a couple of really close ones that they pulled out 2010 when Jeff Horton was the head interim head coach, mm-hmm. you know, for Tim Brewster. And um, that was a flat Iowa team. That was, a that was as mad as I've seen Kirk. Yeah. That team was just, you know, and then 06 as well when yep. he kicked Floyd and broke his foot. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, 14, 14, they just got annihilated. Yes. And, and that was a team between evenly matched teams. But when you have three one play possessions in the second quarter, um, there's one team that wanted to win and there was one team that didn't care. Yep. Oh, show. Yeah. So we move on to Penn State. Uh, Scott and I both feel like. We're comfortable with saying Iowa will win its third game in a row. And um, then we'll head into Black Friday against Nebraska. And we'll share that day, Scott, with the Iowa basketball team. Well, Iowa plays Nebraska at noon in football. And then at 4 o'clock, I believe they play Southern in basketball. But they will tip the season off two days before that against North Carolina Central. This is a MTE with uh, the three because I guess uh, what yes North Central and Southern play on Thursday. You know, if I wanted to, can you imagine going and covering in that game? No, I cannot. <laughs> Thanksgiving, let's yeah, let's go cover Southern versus North Carolina Central. I would almost love to see just <laughs> you know, it would it would make one of those interesting crazy columns but i'm not i'm not going to volunteer for that i'm going to enjoy my thanksgiving you know it's especially because it's here this year and not you know driving to lincoln so (laughs) that is that is is peak 2020 scott thanksgiving game between southern and north carolina central at carver hawkeye arena (laughs) (laughs) it's i mean it's it's like one of those close scrimmages yeah (laughs) <laughs> there's really no difference, you know. I mean, there's nobody there watching it. There's nobody, certainly nobody paying for it. And and media, unless you have to be there, you're not going to be there. And I don't think anybody has to be there for that one. No, and my guess is Southern and North Carolina Central aren't sending a, you know, a brigade of media on the road to cover that game. No, I think they're. I think that, that's the sports information. Hey, has that? Have they sent that story in yet from sports information? Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's uh, it's more like okay, do we got the box score? Yeah. Can you write two paragraphs on it? You know, and if you're in New Orleans or someplace like that, if that, uh, probably not even that. Probably, <laughs> probably the score of the game is, is suffices. Uh, but you know, the, the other one that's kind of strange to me is since the schedule came out, Minnesota on Christmas day at Minnesota. Are there, there's like five Christmas day games in the big yeah, 10, right? Right. They really went hardcore and that's interesting. Um, I don't hate it from the standpoint that the players have to be here anyway. They can't go right. home. And if this was a normal year, they wouldn't do this. They wouldn't do this to anybody, but they can't go home. So if you're gonna be, if you're gonna have to stay here anyway, you might as well play basketball and enjoy it. And and heck, they might get good ratings out of it because there's some people who love NBA on Christmas Day, and then there are other, and but there are a lot more people who ignore it, especially in this state. And so, if I was playing Minnesota in the midday, 
you know, you're done wrapping, you know, done unwrapping your presents. You're just looking for something to do and you're tired of watching a Christmas story for the 20th time. <laughs> <laughs> so then, Hey, pop on Iowa, Minnesota basketball. I just, I do feel for our media brothers who, uh, you know, I, let's put it this way. If I was at the Gazette and I saw that I'd have flipped, <laughs> would have been like, are you kidding me? I've already <laughs> blow all these holidays all year. And now I got to blow the most important one. So, <laughs> but I don't have to do that, but my Coloss and probably Mark Emmert do. So um, next Wednesday, the 25th, the season tips off North Carolina central at three o'clock at Carver, no fans. Um, that is on the Big Ten Network, and then Southern on Friday at 4 o'clock on the Big Ten Network. And then, Scott, there's no scheduled game until December 8th. I think, at least from what I gathered, it makes the most sense. They're trying to get Iowa State and Western Illinois somewhere in between those games. They're just trying to work out which days work best for both teams. Uh, because, yeah, they hop into Big Ten play – with Purdue at home on December 22nd. And you look at the games in December that have been scheduled, North Carolina on the 8th, Northern Illinois on the 13th. Those are both in Iowa City. And then the trip to Sioux Falls against Gonzaga on the 19th. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see where they shoehorn Iowa State and Western Illinois in there. And Iowa gets the max. They get the 27 games. Yeah, I think it's – do you think that the Iowa State game is probably going to end up on that Friday, the 11th? Yeah, that would make sense. Because I don't know that they want to go two days after. I mean, they could, but two days after North Carolina might be a little challenging. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, they could. I mean, they're, they're young players. I mean, shoot, how many AAU games do they play on a weekend? And, right. you know, and it's early in the season, so the grind hasn't quite caught up with them yet. Uh, but, yeah. You think about a a week to week and a half like that in a normal year where you're playing North Carolina, North Carolina at home for the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Nobody's there. Iowa State at home. There's all, It's always sold out. Nobody's there. Then Gonzaga and Sioux Falls, you know, a week and a half later. Nobody's there. It's like, oh, man, you know, just yeah. the letdown of this. It's just so unfortunate because we've done this for a while and we reminisced, if you want to call it that, over the lick lighter error. And, <laughs> and you know, here we are and we're going. How do you spell error? Is it E-R-R-O-R -R -R or E-R-A? Um, this one is five letters long. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would even give Alfred the benefit of the doubt and go E-R-A, but I'm not giving him that doubt. Uh, but yeah, it's, we went down memory lane there <laughs> with that. And we've seen some bad teams, um, you know, and Fran has done a pretty good job for the most part, but I think <laughs> this was the year everybody's waited for and now they can't do it. And, you know, and for the athletic department, how, how, how crappy does this feel thinking you might've been able to, to raise ticket prices this year. You might've had people on the waiting list this year to get in. You would have might've had, a full boat of, you know, sold out season potentially, except for, you know, Southern and Iowa, uh, you know, right after Black Friday football. And now you can't even exploit that. You can't even make that work for you. Ah, and the, for the players. So it's, it's, but we'll know by mid December if this team is worthy of its number five ranking 
or if it's got a lot of work to do to, to, to reach the goal that I think most people have for it. Yeah. I mean, as highly anticipated of a season as, you know, I'm sure most people can remember. Um, you go back to the eighties, I guess, yeah. but um, maybe 2002 when they were coming off the big 10 tournament victory and Wrecker and Evans were coming back and lot high anticipation there. Top 10 team, I believe after they won in Columbia. Um, and then that thing yeah. kind of fell flat, but just going into a season, this is, uh, this is just rarefied air and, I just wonder, Scott, the, the biggest question for me is when, when these expectations are, you know, that surface around here in the preseason, I always wonder myself, and, and this is an individual thing. I, I talked about this on the Mailbag podcast yesterday. Somebody asked if this, you know, if the preseason hype is warranted. I said it is. This, you look at this team on paper, there's no reason why it can't be a top 10 team basketball, a lot of variables, NCAA tournament matchups, you know, yeah. they're just, there's a lot of, there are a lot of factors that go into making a run, but I, I think sweet 16 is minimum mm-hmm. ending that drought being in competition for a big 10 title down to the end of the season. And again, this is um, considering that, we're going to have something normal in a time that's not normal, you know, no games canceled and everything else is being equal. But um, I, you know, I think the hype is warranted, but it's interesting to me what, what type of season will satisfy people? Man, it's tough. And it, it, but it can't, this is why the expectations can be a really scary thing if they allow it to be. And we saw this really almost five years ago mm-hmm. with Woodbury and Gazelle and Utah and, and other players. They got up to number three, you know, after blowing out Michigan State on the road, uh, beat them twice. Both times they were top five team, starting seven and oh, starting 10 and one in Big Ten play. It looked like, you know, there was a uh, first and second round games in Des Moines. So it looked like this is a golden road. You're going to be able to play in Des Moines. You got a chance to end that that crappy streak of uh, not winning a regular season Big Ten title. You have all those things lined up for you, and then the bottom fell out. They lost six out of the last eight. And I think they have to, at minimum, end the season regular season strong. You can't have a they lost three to three out of four to end the season. You know, even if they finish second in the Big Ten. In a 20-game season, let's say they finish 15 and five, and Illinois 16 and four. Right. As long as they beat Wisconsin in the finale at home, as long as they are right there at the very end of where you feel like, okay, maybe they're peaking, maybe they're getting better as the season. They've got a chance, rather than what we saw, you know, certainly the the year with Marble and those guys, and then of course the 16 team, where it just felt like the wheels were coming off. You, you've got to feel like that. Now, yeah, getting to Sweet 16, I think, is a minimum. You've got to get to that second weekend. You've got to enjoy the buildup because the anticipation, the buildup, the, that's part of it. Now, I've seen good teams. We've all seen good teams struggle in a matchup or the player gets hot and, 
And so I don't think the final four curse or whatever is, is something that you should pin everything on because even at Kansas doesn't make it every year. But I think if this team could be in the top two to three, compete at the end of the year for the championship, be in contention legitimately and look good doing it and get to the second weekend, I think everybody should say, okay, this has been a successful year. Now, if you go to the Final Four, if you win the Big Ten title, even if you win the Big Ten tournament title, which might even be more difficult than winning the NCAA tournament title, um, then, yeah. I mean, this is, a, this is a year you put in the rafters, you bring back the players for, <laughs> you know, because they, they haven't had a, uh, a ceremonial-type team since 99 that kind of got to the Sweet 16. And, right. and that team was – it was a good team they've had better and uh because even like the 06 team and i feel bad for them i'm sure you do too you covered them with horner and, and haluska and bruner that yeah. was a team worth celebrating and it just with the loss in that first round it just kind of went oh and then all for nobody liked him it was still kind of the residue of pierre pierce was all over the place and it just kind of everybody wanted to wipe it away and forget about it which was just terrible but you just haven't had a ceremonial team here, you know, to celebrate like the 87 team or the 80 team or the, even the 99 team. Yeah. And there's so much in this sport, there's so much weight put on that NCAA tournament that, you know, as, as memorable as that run was for that 06 team in the big 10 tournament, beat a good Ohio state team in the championship, really just a fun Mm-hmm. few days of watching Iowa basketball, the air just – it was a pin in the balloon yeah. against Northwestern State. And that's yeah. the – that is the memory of that season, unfortunately, because at the end of that season, even the home games at Carver, it was rocking. Mm-hmm. I mean, people were into that team. And then I still – I mean, I, I know you talk to these guys too, but Horner and Bruner, I mean, it's still – Colossi, it still sticks with them. Yeah, that's it's something you're never going to be able to shake. And that's why, you know, that we're on the same page. I think Iowa needs to stay in contention for a Big Ten regular season title till the end of the season. Mm -hmm. If it comes up a little short, it comes up a little short. Unbalanced schedules, you know, you live with that. But if you don't make it to that second weekend in the NCAA tournament, I just think Again, all things being equal, no injuries, you know, games are played, all that stuff. This season will not resonate with people. It will go down. My, let's say, let's go the the opposite way here. The the worst case scenario. I think this team at worst could be 500 in the Big Ten, you know, 10 and 10, something like that. Let's say they lose to North Carolina and Gonzaga. Let's say they bow out on a Friday in the, in the Big Ten tournament and the first weekend, whether they win one and lose one or, or one and done in the NCAA tournament, this will be the greatest disappointing season in, in Iowa basketball history. And I, I'm not hyperbolic about this, I don't think, because so much buildup. This is the season that everybody's waiting for. They've frankly – gone and wandered in the desert for so long as a basketball and this this program has outstanding history the tradition is waning um and because you know going into to the 2000 season right after tom davis took them to the to the sweet 16 they were third in number of ncaa tournament appearances in the big 10 
yeah. Indiana and Illinois was the only two were the only two teams with more. So the tradition, the history is there, but it's everything is just it's kind of waned. So here's your opportunity. Here's where Iowa becomes Iowa again. And you know, the other factor, I wrote this one of my last stories for the Gazette was a story I really liked and that is the bigger uh, the higher they fly the harder they fall and you look at through Iowa's history and the nut punches <laughs> that they've endured <laughs> you know from Pembroke Burroughs in 1970 to the 20 point lead Ronnie Lester's knee the Northwestern State um, you know even the horrible tragedies like Chris Street mm-hmm. that was a that was a very very good team you know with Chris Street, yep. um, they probably were at minimum a Sweet 16 team, if not a, a Final Four team. You have all those situations, and they just – you want a happy ending. And what is the happy ending? Well, that's hard – you know, other than a championship, that's hard to define because <laughs> – but still, uh, you know, the, high, the higher they fly, the, uh, the harder they fall. Yeah, and like I said at the top, it's, it's, it's each individual. There are going to be people with unrealistic expectations that, you know, it's national championship or bust or final mm-hmm. four or bust. But the NCAA tournament's a weird animal with a lot of strange things that we see every year, which makes it such a great event. There are upsets. There are great storylines. There are Loyola, you know, or, you know, George Mason or, you know, there, there, there are unpredictable things that happen, which we love about the tournament. But you look at this Iowa team, Scott, you've got, you know, uh, the, nat- the consensus national player of the year coming into the year, a guy who won the award from several outlets last year. You've got an all Big Ten player in Joe Wieskamp. You've got a guy who's going to probably be the Big Ten's all-time leading three-point shooter. I mean, you can't say you can't look at this team on paper and say it does not have the potential to be to get to the top of the mountain. Now we know that it's going to take defense, mm-hmm. and we're not going to know whether that it's going to be good enough, competent enough on defense to reach its potential. But it has that potential. You know, and here's a couple of things I will predict: one, they're going to lose a couple of games at least. Yes. Even if they win the national title, they're going to lose a couple of games. It's a good and, league. Yeah. It's good. Right. I mean, you know, you got, what, four teams? Three in the top ten for sure. And then you got Michigan State. And are you really going to, you know, with Tom Izzo, are you really going to say, ah, they're – you know, Indiana's got great players. So, I, I mean, Iowa could go to Indiana on Super Bowl Sunday and get beat by 15. Yep. Or go to Illinois for their only meeting on January 29th and get beat, blown out. Uh, things can happen and things do happen. I mean, so you've got to, you know, I think a lot of times, and I hate to say this, but Iowa fans are the worst about this, that there's a referendum almost on every game, right. basketball and football and football. Okay. You kind of tolerate basketball makes no sense whatsoever. And that is, Oh, see, they're soft on defense. You know, okay. You go to Illinois, you lose 99, 79, they shoot 65% from the floor, have a great game. Oh, their defense is terrible. They're never going to win. They're never, you know, you got it. Sometimes you just got to put it in the rear room mirror and move on. Their defense will never be great, but their offense is great. And their offense will, if they get good shots, good shot selection, it enables them to set up their defense to where it's not in a transitional opportunity, which they aren't very good at. No, so I, I they're think, awful in scramble situations. They yeah. Just- 
and they don't have if you want to say what's their detriment it's they don't have a lot of team speed and quickness and and so they can be beaten in those situations and they're going to give up some points and there's going to be some dribble drive penetration that screws them up and uh you know i mean when they play illinois that's going to be one of the big things there enjoy it man you know live with this it's going to be fun it's it's going to be a, a long season but as you mentioned everything hinges on march and wouldn't it be something though that 10, you know, the 11 years, I guess it would be by then. Um, Licklider, leaving Butler, <laughs> and the championship could be played at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Yeah. And if it's just the full circle, <laughs> you know, that <laughs> I went from the worst uh, to the best. So Yeah. And we talked about it with football, Scott, where it's complimentary football. Yeah. That's what wins. For Iowa basketball and for a lot of basketball teams, it's complimentary basketball. If they're efficient on offense, that helps them on defense. They can set up, you know, some pressure, the three-quarter court trap, things like that. If you play efficiently on offense, you help your defense. And that's going to be a key for Iowa. Iowa is good enough and has weapons enough or has enough weapons offensively that that offense can really help its defense. And the other thing that I would hang my hat on if I'm an Iowa fan looking for, you know, you know, encouragement about this team being better defensively, they're veteran guys. A lot, of, a lot of defense, if you're lacking lateral quickness, if you're lacking a guy who's really good on ball, and Joe Toussaint is good on yeah. ball. Um, and I think, I think Uless and Perkins are pretty good defenders as well. Iowa, if it's – and this is a word that Fran loves, connected. Yeah, if you're connected right. on the defensive end and you're moving as five people together, you can be – and I think, at least from my perspective, if Iowa can be competent to a little bit above competent defensively, it has the potential to reach its potential. I agree wholeheartedly. I think it's kind of like if, if you look at it from an NFL per, or a football perspective, if you throw three straight passes and they're all incomplete, and your defense is back on the field, and the other team scores on you, and you throw three straight passes again, and they're all incomplete or, you know, don't get a first down, your defense will look bad eventually. And that's the same thing with basketball. If you chuck up bad shots, um, in, even in transition, you know, especially it's like, and they come back the other way and they score on you because you're not set, it's easy to look bad. So if you're efficient on offense, which in Iowa football terms, and it's run the football and keep your defense off the field and basketball it's move the ball around to get it set up a good shot and then you're able to set up your defense it's so much more difficult to penetrate it at least quickly you know it might take some time and they might score but you know what everybody scores it's just uh I I think right now this team is capable it's uh, got good players at every spot it looks and the one difference that I see out of this team versus the other ones that I covered home and away for all those years is Connor McCaffrey as the glue player. He doesn't care about scoring. He cares about winning and he'll kick your ass if he needs to. This team has, this team has dog in it, Scott. I mean, you look at Bohannon, Mm -hmm. Frederick, Luca, who who has more blood on his face than, you know, somebody who's fighting Mike Tyson. That's an old (laughs) reference. I'm old. Right. Hey, Um, he's fighting though. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Connor McCaffrey, uh, Tucson. I mean, there's dog on this team. Yeah. Right. I mean, I look back at those two teams that collapsed and there wasn't that leader that can help build, bring everybody back up. Yep. It, it, 
the one that stands out, the one, the only one that I think is comparable to Connor that I've seen is Matt Gaines. Yeah. It was kind of that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, a guy who sprained his ankle and shoot around shouldn't have played, but yet decided to stand up at the end of the bench, you know, for a game because they let in all the students for free and he wanted it to succeed because he was a blood black and gold more than any other player I've ever met. And stood up rather than sat down so it wouldn't swell as much. So that's Connor McCaffrey to me because he will fight. And he, you know, assisted turnover ratio, nobody was even close to him in the country last year because get the ball to your to your horse. Yeah. <laughs> and now now you've got Bohannon back, you know, and he's, you know, he, he can hit big game shots like nobody else that we've seen since probably, what, uh, Luke Recker? Yeah. You know. So I like this team a lot. I think it's got a really good opportunity. It's just I think people have to be patient because they're not going to go undefeated. No, I mean, 27 games. What, is 22 and five? Are you going to pine and just, you know, tear your hair out over those five losses and just dissect them to, you know, paralysis by overanalysis? If they're 20 and seven. Yeah. I mean, that's a great season. Because mm-hmm. then they're uh, – Probably at least 12 and 12 and eight in the big 10 yeah. or, or I mean 14 and six, something like that, you know, cause you figure they're probably going to be the underdog against Gonzaga. Right. They probably will beat North Carolina at home or you'd think just shock uh, Iowa state. So if you have one non-conference loss and you have six in the big 10, that's 20 and seven this year, that's probably a number three seed. The, just the one thing that they're going to have to be careful about is when they get to the NCAA tournament and if they get past that first game, which they should, that they might play a team like a UNI in that second round. Right. You know, even that great 87 team, which was the most talented one they ever had, had to play Tim Hardaway and UNLV, which at, and it was a dogfight in that second round matchup. It was like a two point game. Yep. And so if you play you and I with AJ Green and you're a three seed and they're a, you know, what, a six or 11 or something like that. And you, you know, if they, I don't know, I'm just spitballing, but man, you know, be prepared. It's going to be tough. And if you don't got fans there, it's going to be come down to that final five minutes. Can you hit your free throws? Can you defend? Can you get good shots? So. One thing we'll, we'll go over here quickly before we sign off. Um, our friend Brendan Stiles tweeted this out yesterday. Uh, you would, I think, consensus the top four teams preseason, Big Ten, Illinois, Iowa, Michigan State, and Wisconsin. Uh, we talked about the unbalanced schedule. Illinois uh, play and Iowa only play once. Illinois only plays Iowa and Michigan State once. Um, one at home, and then they're at Michigan State. They play Wisconsin twice. Mm-hmm. Iowa has Illinois once. Michigan State and Wisconsin each twice. Michigan State has Illinois and Wisconsin once, and then obviously Iowa twice. And then Wisconsin has Illinois twice, Iowa twice, and Michigan State once. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it, it's, uh, it's Illinois and, and Michigan State have the easier road of those four teams, at least on paper. Yeah. And then you've got to figure an Ohio State or an Indiana will kind of creep into that. And Michigan's, and, Michigan's really talented. They've got a right. really good freshman class. And, then right. you, and you mentioned Indiana. Indiana's got the best recruit coming in, mm-hmm. you know, at least ratings-wise. So, 
Yeah. And, you know, the one thing is that the unbalanced schedule has, they, they've altered it two years ago to where the in-state teams play one another twice annually because that was always a concern, especially mm-hmm. Indiana-Purdue, but also Michigan State and Michigan. And then that crept over to Illinois-Northwestern, which I don't think Illinois would have cared, but Northwestern did. And then they divided the rest of the big the eight teams in the Big Ten into quadrants. So the four out here, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska, play each other five times over three years. So it's double-double single. And then out east, it's Ohio State, Penn State, uh, Maryland, and Rutgers are the same way, five over six or five over three. And it's it's weird because the Big Ten rivalry-wise is not as strong, I guess, as football, certainly. You know, there's not a, those games, you've got to get these ones in. But, you know, historically, Iowa-Illinois is, is the biggest rival. It kind of has faded over the last 10 to 15 years, but it's back on in a big, big way. And if you were to tell me what team does Iowa need to play twice, it's Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, However, the league, if it ever does shift to specifics, it would probably be Iowa-Nebraska, you know, because what does Nebraska have? Nothing. Wisconsin and Minnesota They've would probably a nice be. arena. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but, you know, who would be, they really want to play outside of Iowa, home and home, you know, every right. year. You know? And, you know, so really the, the teams that are kind of in no man's land are Ohio State and Iowa because their rivals are everybody else's rivals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Ohio State's biggest rivals are the Michigan schools and Indiana. Well, yeah. they're somebody else's rivals. And, and so that's what makes this all strange. Because I would almost say that if, they, if you do that and you try to link it up, maybe you throw uh, uh, Iowa with Ohio State as a home and home. And that's more of yeah. a rivalry than it is with Nebraska and basketball. But I, I, I don't know. It's, it's all kind of crazy. But there, there wasn't any kind of – I saw some people doing WTFs on the Iowa-Illinois only playing once, and it would have been nice to do that. But they're trying to establish some sort of – and I've been a Big Ten critic for a long time on a lot of different things. This one is kind of understandable. Yeah, I would agree. And really for Iowa, it's, uh, it's cliche competing against itself, but it just has to – it just has to win as many games as it can during the regular season with as strong as the non-conference slate is. Win as many as you can there. Win as many as you can in a very strong conference and get yourself a seed in the, in the NCAA tournament where you're not facing Gonzaga or Villanova in that second game. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh, yes. The, the 16 season comes back to me and going <laughs> – you know, they, yes, they were never going to beat Villanova on their best day, but you shouldn't have had to play them until at least the Sweet 16, right. you know, to, to fall from a potential one or two seed to a seven. And not only that, they felt the two seven seeds, Wisconsin was a seven and Iowa was a seven. Wisconsin got to go to St. Louis. Yep. And that was because Iowa just stepped all over itself, especially in the, in the Big Ten tournament that year. And... <laughs> Otherwise, they'd at least been in St. Louis. Instead, they're in Brooklyn. And I saw one of the biggest New York City rats I've ever seen in my life outside of <laughs> this uh, bar where we watched you and I collapse against Texas A&M. So, yeah, no cities till Brooklyn. Great arena. Barclays yeah. is beautiful. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. Um, but I would have rather been in St. Louis. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, find, fly into your home place of LaGuardia <laughs> or whatever. And I would have rather have just gotten in the car and drove four hours south. Agreed. Hopefully they play relatively close to home. Who knows what the – I mean, we saw some – Oh, it's going to Indianapolis. Yeah, it's all Indianapolis. You yeah. think it's going to – that's where it's going to end up? That's probably smart. Put a bubble. Yeah, a bubble. yeah they, they – uh, the NCAA ruled two days ago or three days ago that it's all in Indy in, – or Indiana. So the first round – I mean, they could use components like Bloomington or West Lafayette. Yeah. Or it could all be strictly Indianapolis. They haven't got, gotten quite that far. They shoot. They could go two courts side by side in Lucas Oil. Um, I'm yep. not sure the Pacers would love it to see a bunch of college teams play in their, <laughs> their arena, but maybe <laughs> maybe that happens. But you know, I know I kind of joked, and I but I'm it's true that Hinkle Fieldhouse has never hosted a Final Four. That'd be but awesome. If you're not, but if you're not having fans, yeah, if you're college basketball, and we've had this hellhole of a 12 month period. That would be tremendous if you could do that. Yep, we'll see how it all plays out, Scott. Um, we'll see how Saturday plays out for Iowa football. Should be an interesting um, last four games. Uh, certainly winnable for Iowa. Starts this week against Penn State. Um, as Scott and I said earlier in this podcast, if you've stuck with us this long, we'll probably have to adjust our schedule next week for the podcast, probably record on Wednesday and um, before uh, when that makes sense anyway, because we're uh, the games a, a day earlier on black Friday. Um, we'll have to work it around the Iowa basketball game next week, but we'll figure it out and we'll be back to talk with you guys next week. Scott, thanks. Um, what should people be looking out for at the athletic? What do you got? Yeah. This yeah. I, uh, I had a, kind of an interesting story the other day um, on Spencer Petras and how he compares with the other sophomore quarterbacks under Kirk Ferentz and the statistics that are involved in that. And just, I thought that was kind of fascinating to go through. And then also in today's mailbag, I broke down the, which we talked about some of the uh, potential for Iowa to, to reach Indianapolis. It's uh, again, it's, it, to call it a Hail Mary, it'd be like a Hail Mary from the 20 yard line. Uh, but you got to hope that you got Cam Newton or Jamarcus Russell throwing it. So, <laughs> or Kyler what... Murray to DeAndre Hopkins. Yes. <laughs> poor, poor Micah Hyde. He was behind the play trying to knock it out. But uh, yeah, that's, that's what I got this week. And, and so. well, check that stuff out and frequent the athletic as much as you can. I am a subscriber, enjoy all their content, even when I'm reading about the Mets and the Knicks. Um, and the Jets. <laughs> oh, hey, you're going you're gonna to enjoy that in the spring, though. Yes, I will. Um, thank you guys for listening to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast. As always, appreciate you uh, checking in with us, and we enjoy doing this for you. And we will be back to do it again next week.